he's the executive pastor there. We also work together on the 17.6 network of churches. Um, I'm, I'm the director of the network, and he is the director of network advancement. So we've done some things together. You'll hear about that. Um, a couple of things about Matt I'd just like to say uh, in public before the whole group here. Uh, he, he and his wife, Jessica, uh, have been just a real example to me, and I know many others, just in, in the way they've walked uh, in faith as, as they've dealt with the challenges. He's going to share some challenges he, he faced early on, and God used that to prepare him for an unexpected uh, foray into the realm of ministry. <laughs> he'll, he'll probably explain that, but... Um, Anyway, one of the things I really appreciate about both of them is, how long did you wait for a child? 13 years? 14 years. 14 years. So they, they waited. They, they were hoping to have children. Uh, they waited. And through that whole process, I walked through some of that with them. But they were willing to trust God. They, they checked some things out and just decided, you know what? God's telling us just to wait on him. And they waited with faith, trusting him. The other thing about Matt, he's an extremely hard worker, and uh, he has upbeat endurance. He's very enthusiastic about it. It, it might come out this morning. I don't know. Uh, in the sound check, I said he gets a little amped sometimes. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to put the pressure on him. but No pressure. No, no pressure. pressure. <laughs> but he can get amped, but there's this real sense of, hey, Let's, let's move the kingdom forward. Let's do what God's called us to do with an upbeat attitude, willing to pay a price for that. So what he's sharing with you this morning, just the way that God has led him uh, to make uh, more and more of a commitment to what God's doing in the world and following him, that it comes out of his life. So I'm really looking forward to you having the uh, opportunity to hear from Matt. Matt? Thank you. Thank you, Randy. It's, uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm really honored to get to have a chance to just share some of my life with you this morning. And uh, Randy talked about being amped. You you must know that at at my church in Fort Worth, Texas, we have three services. So uh, when you start out the first service, you've always got to leave a little bit. And then if there's anything left, you can let it go in the third service. But we've only got one here. So I'm not sure exactly what what you're going to get this morning with just one service and no reserve tank necessary. Um, I, uh, I've had the privilege, as Randy mentioned, to just to know Randy and his family for a number of years. In fact, Randy and I have literally traveled all over the world together. I've got a picture here. Randy and I, we've been to India. We've been to Germany. Most recently in October, we went to Florida and experienced a hurricane together. But uh, this is a trip that uh, we took a couple of years ago. And uh, we are standing in front of the gates of Babylon at a museum in Berlin. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I read the Old Testament, I kind of think black and white. You know, you just think black and white. But you can see just the, the photo does not do justice for the brilliance of the color uh, that we're on these gates here that uh, we're at this museum. So we've gotten to travel a lot. Uh, Thad, who was up here a moment ago, uh, some of you know Thad's my brother-in-law. So uh, we got to spend quite a bit of time together. This was, uh, I think this was 2012. There was a, a mud run that uh, was in the area in town. There's a little before and after shot from that. And uh, we were in a big group of people that did that together. I've had all kinds of just really great experiences uh, and memories with that as well. So I'm excited to be here sharing with you this morning. Um, you know, 
what I want to do is I want to briefly share some things that I've learned over the years, some things in my own life. And one of the things that I found is actually this month, February, is 11 years that I've been in vocational ministry now, 11 years that I've been a pastor. And what I found is that some of the things I'm going to share, they're not just so unique with me personally, but these are some experiences and things that uh, a lot of people have had. Uh, they just may have been packaged a little bit different. And what I hope to do is, one, is I hope to encourage you by what I share, but then I also want to challenge you, challenge you to take the next step from wherever you are right now, take a step forward with God. You know, each one of us, we're on a journey, and that journey, whether we like it or not, started the day that we were born, and uh, along the way, we're going to make all kinds of different stops on that journey. In fact, today, right now, we're making a temporary stop together. Uh, this was maybe an unscheduled temporary stop that uh, y'all normally meet in the Diamond Bar Center. You're here today, and then we're going to leave this place and go on and have lots of different temporary stops until we reach our final destination that uh, will occur when we move from this life on into eternity. So I want to ask you to do something that you might not be accustomed to do on a Sunday morning, and that is to take just a moment and think. Think about something that's a little bit deep and a little bit heavy. And this is the question I want you to think about. What do you want your life to be all about? What do you want your life to be all about? And when you're no longer walking this planet anymore, what do you want people saying about you? What do you want people thinking about you, the experiences that they had with you? This is a question that you may have spent a lot of time thinking about, or perhaps you've never given it a moment's thought. But I want to invite you right now to just take 10 seconds and think about what do you want your life to be all about? Now, this may or may not surprise you, but this is actually something that I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about for myself. And, and uh, for me, there's a verse that just really summarizes it and is a, is a great picture of what I want. And that verse is Acts 13, 36. It says, For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. And that's just kind of a really nice way of saying after David served his purpose, he died. His life was over. But it was after he served his purpose. And this is something that can be said about him. Isn't that a great way to be remembered? That after you've served your purpose, you've moved on, you've gone into the greater eternal reward. Now, a few verses before this, David is described as a man after God's own heart. And uh, he was not a perfect man by any means, but you could say that he was all in. Not perfect, but all in. And when I think about my life and my life coming to an end, which hopefully is many decades from now, but when I think about that, what I would like to have be said about me is that Matt served his purpose or served God's purpose in his generation and that Matt was all in with his life. So uh, I wasn't born, though, with this picture of my life. I wasn't born with this vision. This is something that I have come to understand over 33 years of walking with Jesus, over 33 years of learning what does it mean to take my thoughts, my feelings, my desires, and align them more with those of Christ rather than what comes so naturally to me. So I want to share just some of my journey with you. I grew up in Southern California. I've got just a, a really mixed up accent at this point. You might hear me say you guys or y'all uh, since I've been living in Texas now for over 15 years. But I grew up in Southern California. I was actually born in Fullerton. 
I lived in Anaheim till I was eight, and then we made the long trek up the hill from Anaheim to Yorba Linda. Anybody from the YL in the house here? Okay, we got a couple. So I grew up in Yorba Linda. My parents still live in the house that, uh, that we grew up in. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I grew up in a family where uh, we learned about Christ from as early as I can remember. I'm the oldest of three children. I've got a younger brother and then a younger sister. In fact, there's a picture of us here. Uh, this is actually, we were standing in front of the church that we attended at the time in Fullerton, California. So there's my family. I grew up um, with the privilege of getting to know about Christ um, and uh, became a follower of Jesus Christ when I was five years old. Uh, between the ages of eight and 14, um, I, was an un- I was unable to run, jump, or kick because of a series of uh, uh, surgeries and things that I had to correct a hip condition that I had. Then when I was 14 years old, I was run over by a drunk driver while intertubing on a lake. At 19, I met and then later started dating the woman I would eventually marry. Uh, I was also introduced at 19 to a man who would become my pastor and a significant figure in me learning what does it really mean to walk with Jesus Christ. And then moving into my 20s, when I was 23 years old, I graduated from college with a degree in business. I got married. I moved to Fort Worth, Texas to attend Hope Church and get some more training just in life in general. And I started a business career. Then at age 27, I, uh, God called me to transition out of the business world into vocational ministry. Then over the next 10 years, I had some, uh, as I moved from my 20s into my 30s, I had some amazing experiences. I got to meet some incredible people, and I also walked through some of the most difficult things that I've ever walked through in my life. I gave you just a glimpse of some difficult things I walked through in my younger life, but those 10 years was more difficult than I had ever walked through in my life. But the greatest adventure of all thus far uh, that happened in my later 30s was that of becoming a dad. Uh, after many years, as Randy said, of praying and uh, asking the Lord for, for children, he answered our prayer. And uh, in January of 2016, so almost 14 months ago now, uh, the Lord blessed us with Kenzie Joel. So that's a, uh, that was one of the professional pictures that we had taken. So that's why I'm using that one, even though she's much older now than uh, she is there in that picture. But maybe you can relate to some of my story uh, parts of my journey, some of the challenges or opportunities that I have uh, had before me. But when I reflect over, over 38 years of living and 33 years of following Jesus Christ, as I think about that experience, there were five big lessons that came to mind. Now, obviously, this isn't everything that I learned in that time. We don't have time to talk about all the lessons, but they're sort of just thinking about it. There were five big lessons that I learned in this time. And all of these lessons have been learned by experience. These weren't just theoretical lessons, but these were lessons learned by experience. And I literally have scars from some of these lessons that I could show you if you wanted to see them. Uh, So the first one, the first lesson I want to share with you is that God loves me so much more than I can actually understand. Guys, we, we actually cannot comprehend how much God loves us. So I don't know, you may be here today and have never heard this before, but I want to tell you right now, God loves you so much more than you can even comprehend and even understand. You see, God, he's the one that created the world. He created us. He created us to have a relationship with us. 
And then we were the ones that messed that up by rebelling against him. We messed up the perfection that he created. And, but he didn't leave us there. God is the one who entered into to time and history and space as a man to take upon himself the sin and the rebellion that we committed so that we could have a right relationship back with him again. That's how much he loves us. It's just we, we cannot even comprehend how much he really loves us. And I mentioned to you that I grew up in church. And I think probably the, the first verse that I ever uh, sort of remember when you think about the Bible was John 3.16. Uh, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but be able to have life. And over the years, I have read it in so many different translations. You know, you get sort of confused. There's like some King James meets NIV meets whatever. So uh, I can't remember exactly what version I put there on the screen, but, but that's the verse for you. And then First John 3.16 says that we know what love is because Christ died. So I grew up understanding that God loved me. I grew up knowing that and understanding it. But then there were a series of experiences that I had that really drew that drove that from understanding to really, really understanding it through experience. You could say that some of the experiences I had took things to the HNL. You guys know HNL? Whole nother level, right? Okay, so it took some things to the HNL for me. When I was eight years old, I had developed a pretty serious and an unexplained limp. I just started really limping. And it was really painful and hard to walk. And I had to have some surgeries to correct that. The first round of things, I was put in double leg casts. And I got a picture here for you of me in our backyard at some kind of a party where I had casts on each leg with a bar in between and I could walk like this. And I wore those casts for like five or six months and that didn't correct the problem. So I had two more rounds uh, where they did surgery, and I actually had the same cast configuration on, but I had to be in a wheelchair, and I couldn't walk for those amounts of time together. And through those experiences, um, through the casts and the surgeries, I learned the power of prayer and relying on God in some difficult circumstances that I had as just an eight-year-old walking into that. Then the spring of my eighth-grade year, the doctor cleared me. This was the moment I was waiting for when he said, okay, you can run, jump, and kick now. And to a little boy who's not been able to run, jump, or kick for years, like you can imagine, what did I do? And shortly after the doctor released me from that, I remember we had this thing at our school where every, whatever it was, Friday or every couple of weeks, we had to run the fields. You know, this was part of like the physical fitness thing. And previous to that, I just sort of walked it or had permission to sit out. And um, that, that first day that we were running, that I could run, man, I just took off. And I think I was up there in the pack with the, the runners, the cross-country type people for the first lap. I was up there with them. And I remember my PE teacher, he says, Sturdivant, he's like, slow down, you're going to kill yourself. And uh, he knew I hadn't been able to do any of that. So I was released. I was ready to go. I, I was just ready to have a normal life again. That was in the, the spring of my eighth grade year. Well, fast forward a couple months into the summer. My family and I took a weekend trip to Lake Havasu in Arizona. Saturday evening, about six o'clock, we're out tubing. And, you know, it stays light till nine or later. So we're out tubing on the lake. And I fell off the tube, which is a normal thing that happens uh, if you've ever been inner tubing before. But the not normal thing that happened was there was a drunk driver that wasn't paying attention that ran me over that day. 
ran me over uh, there in the water, and, and my injuries were really severe. They had to rush me to the emergency room there in Lake Havasu, and the doctors were like, well, there's nothing we can do with him here. They put me on a plane, and they flew me to a trauma center in Phoenix. And the injuries that I had were I had a collapsed lung, a severed liver. I had lacerations all over my torso and other parts of my body. I spent 10 days in the intensive care unit. And then I spent a total of about three weeks there in the hospital. And on the day that I was released from the hospital, my parents asked the doctor, because we knew God had done something here, they said, how bad was he when he came into the hospital? And they said, well, we gave him a 30% chance to make it when he came in that night. And we've never seen anybody come in as bad as he was actually leave the hospital alive. So I, I stand here today and I can tell you that I, I feel like God did a miracle with, uh, with, this, with this boating accident. And, and I, what I had learned with the, the relying on God in difficult circumstances and what I had learned about the power of prayer, man, that was taken to the HNL with this experience. Through this experience, uh, I learned that without a question, there is a God who loves me and cares for me. And I already knew that, that God was, that the Bible and things were true, but this was a true to real moment. I experienced the reality of, of prayer. And we literally had people all over the country praying for me through this experience. So for me, there was without a question a God who loved me and uh, who was very, very real to me. So, and then most recently in the last 14 months, uh, I gained a new perspective on, uh, on this piece as well. There's a verse for me that took on a whole new meaning after becoming a father. And this verse was 1 John uh, 3.1. And I'm going to read it to you in the New King James Version. It says, uh, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And I remember that first night holding my daughter. My wife was exhausted and uh, it was late and I, and I didn't get to sleep that night. I was holding her and I was just looking down thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? <laughs> but then uh, I also was reflecting on, on uh, just this concept of how much God loves us as a father. And, and I was looking at her and I thought, man, I'm just like overwhelmed with these feelings of, of love that, that I've never experienced before. And, and I you know, I, I want so much for this little person, uh, for her life. And, and I'm glad she couldn't talk because if she'd asked me for anything, I probably would have found a way to get it for her right there in that moment. But that, that's what we experience, guys. As we become followers of Jesus Christ, we absolutely get to have forgiveness for our sins. But beyond that, God welcomes us into his family and he loves us like a father, like much better father than I'll ever be. God loves us that much. So, so that first lesson is that God loves me so much more than I can actually understand. The next lesson uh, is that God is absolutely 100% in control. He's absolutely 100% in control. Even though from our perspective, oftentimes it doesn't look that way. It looks as if life is totally out of control. We're not getting what we want. We're not getting what we think we deserve. And it looks like life is just totally, totally out of control. God is the one who's in control. And he's 100% in control all the time. One of the major difficulties that I walked through in my 30s uh, was a period of wanting children and not being able to get pregnant. This was a, a very difficult time. And our, our 
plan, you know, how so much as it is that you have plans for your life. Our plan was to be married for about five years because we got married pretty young. We thought we'd want to be married for about five years and then start a family. Well, five years came and we said, all right, let's start a family. Nothing happened. Five years turned into 10 years and, uh, you know, it was taking a while. So we finally decided after about 11 years that, uh, you know, maybe we ought to get some things checked out. And uh, we've been praying all along. And uh, this was one of the things that we had talked some with Randy about just through this process is how much do you intervene and, and, and figure things out? And uh, God's got to speak to you on your own about this. There's not a, a foolproof answer, just that blanket for all followers of Christ. But this was something that we wrestled with. So we, we went to the doctor and, and uh, over a series of some tests and things that were done, the doctor came back and said, I've got good news and bad news. Okay, you know, you're going to brace yourself when you, when you hear that, that. Okay, he says, the good news is there's nothing medically wrong with you. All right, what's the bad news? The bad news is you fall into this small percentage of what we call unexplained infertility. Okay, well, that's not really helpful then, right? But but what God did through that was, is it seemed like the Lord was saying to us, is basically, guys, there's nothing wrong with you. You don't have kids because I have not yet said that it's time for you to have kids. And honestly, that was a, a hard word to swallow. It's a hard thing to hear, especially when we wanted something that was good. You know, the Bible talks about children being a blessing from the Lord. Children are a good thing. It wasn't like we wanted this, you know, Lamborghini really bad that God was just saying, no, that's not for you. We wanted something that was actually w- within what God says is really good. Uh, so with that, though, we decided that, uh, well, as we were hearing that news, I was reminded, too, of my call into the ministry because my call into the ministry in some ways was the worst kind of call that you can get, and that is you have a choice. Uh, you know, it's really good when God just says, you have to do this. And he's like, well, I'm going to be in disobedience if I don't do it. But, but I was at a place where God said, you've got a choice, Matt. You have a real choice to make. And your options are this. is One is you can stay in business and you can make a lot more money, or you can move into ministry and you can have a greater impact. And I had a, a real choice. And uh, at the time, being young and not having a lot of money, I didn't really know what I was giving up. Uh, and I chose the impact. Uh, and, and very quickly, and, and over the last 11 years, God has confirmed it over and over and over again. And I know that I made the right choice. But I was reminded at that time was that, you know, you said you wanted to have a greater impact. So my wife and I decided, all right, we don't have kids right now. We don't know if we'll ever have kids. And uh, we're just going to go for it. We're going to go all in and we're going to aggressively do whatever we can do in the time that we have to help expand the kingdom, both at our church in Fort Worth and with the network of churches together. And we just we went for it. And, and after making that commitment, God opened up all kinds of doors where we were able to teach and train and encourage people locally uh, where we were in Fort Worth, nationally and even on an international basis. And it was during that time, too, that we were able to, to see some key things come together uh, with uh, the Antioch Project. Some of you are in that. It was, it was during that time period we were able to get it connected to a Master's of Divinity degree. It was during that time period without kids that uh, North Star, which many of you may be a part of, North Star came about and, and the groundwork for that was laid. So, so we went for it. We went all in. Then, in the middle of an extremely busy season of ministry and life when we least expected it, May 2015, we discovered we're pregnant. And uh, we were just very overjoyed 
And uh, we had literally had people all over the country also praying for us that, you know, if God would allow. And it's also kind of an awkward thing. How do you tell someone, you know, hey, I've been praying that you'll have kids, you know. But, but we learned all kinds of stories from a lot of people that we never knew were praying for us. And just it's been a really encouraging thing because also one of the things that we walked away from that doctor's appointment knowing that if we ever are able to have kids, it's going to be because God worked. It's going to be because God intervened. And he, he did it so in a way that so many people, and many of you even here in this room, oh, lost the mic. I'm so animated that the mic won't stay on. All right. If we have to, we, I can go old school handheld, and then we'll get really, really into it. Uh, <laughs> But we, we knew that, uh, that if God did it, it would be in a way that it was very clear that he acted. And so many people got to be a part of that. So Kenzie was born in, as I mentioned, January 7th, 2016. Some verses that have been very important for me as we walk through this difficulty was, the, this is Psalm 103:19. The Lord established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This means regardless of what's going on in the chaos of life, God is on the throne and he's on the throne in control. That's what's happening here. And then uh, another verse, uh, I'll just sort of paraphrase this for you, but it's Genesis uh, 45, 5 through 9. This is when Joseph's brothers, he's having this conversation with them, and, and he tells his brothers, it's not you. God is actually the one that sent me here. And he says this multiple times. And through this, Joseph is telling his brothers that God sent me here through you. Yes, you had sin. Yes, you were involved in this. But God's actually the one that sent me here to Egypt. I got here the long way, but he had me here so that I could be doing the things that I'm doing right now that God had planned and that he was a part of. So God was 100% in control when Joseph was the slave. He was 100% in control when Joseph was down in the pit uh, in, in uh, the prison there in Egypt. So God is 100% in control all of the time. And he's actually using the circumstances and the things of life to help grow us, to help train us so that we can become the person we need to be so that we can then later be a part of the things that God wants us to be a part of. Which leads into my third lesson is that life is God's training program for us. But before I get too far into this third lesson, I want to give you a fun update. And that update, some of you may have heard this already, but God had us wait 14 years for our first child. And then seemingly he's only going to have us wait about 18 months for the second one. Because we found out in December that uh, Jessica is pregnant with baby number two due in August. So again, when I found out we were pregnant this time, I was only slightly less shocked because just all the things going on in life and, you know, it was was something we want and we're super overjoyed, but not expecting it in in, in the moment. So guys, God is 100% in control and he uses that because life is his training program for us. You see, we're in this training program of life, and this is a required course that we're automatically signed up for when we're born. It's not an elective that we can choose to opt out of and say, I don't want that one. Whatever's going on in life, God's using it to train us and to grow us. In fact, each challenge that we face is actually an opportunity. It's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to prepare for the next challenge that's on the horizon that we don't yet see. Because if you haven't figured out by now, the next one's usually more difficult than the one we're in right now. The one we're in right now is a little bit more difficult than the one we just came out of. You know, and we're just moving through life and God's growing us and, and changing us and we're, we're learning. In fact, uh, this is kind of a hard truth, but it, but it's a reality is that 
being a follower of Christ does not give you this, this Teflon coat where all the problems and stuff just don't stick. We still experience all of the problems that are there in life because we live in a broken world because of sin. But what happens is, is we don't have the absence of the problems. We have the presence of the resources to adequately deal with the problems that come in life. So the life is God's training program for me. And there's a couple of verses here I want to share with you that have been just super crucial for me over the years. And, and I, I learn more and more as I study these verses. They become more challenging and more encouraging as time goes on. The first one is James 1, 2 through 4. It says, Dear brothers, is your life full of tempta- difficulties and temptations? If I had an opportunity to rewrite a verse, I would probably say, dear brothers, since your life is full of difficulties and temptations, because that's just part of life. But then he says, then be happy. What? Be happy because of the difficulties and the temptations? Yes, be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is when finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything. Strong in character, full and complete. So we've got to go through these difficulties, these temptations, these trials, so that we can grow, so that we can be full and complete. It's it's a process that God uses. In fact, the only way to grow in patience is to have to have something to be patient about, right? So that's that's what we have to do. Be be happy. But then uh, it goes further. Paul takes it further in Romans when first we're told to be happy. Then it says, more than that, rejoice in your sufferings. Well, first we're told to be happy. Now it's time to rejoice in the sufferings. Because knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Guys, and that's what the world is, is missing, is, is the hope. So often we just, we wanna, we're in the middle of this problem, and I just want the problem to end and so I can be happy again. And I, and I can be over this. But it's the process. It's life is God's training program for us. The process that he's using to grow us and develop us. In fact, to have endurance, you have to endure. Right? So, so again, it's this process of growth that we have. And these verses, these verses are, are hard. They're, they're challenging. But they're also encouraging. Because what they say is that the problems and the things that we go through, there's purpose behind it. It's not just this thing, but there's actually purpose behind the difficulties and the trials that we're walking through. And the purpose is for us to grow in character and for us to grow in hope. And then we, as followers of Jesus Christ, can take that hope that we have. And we can share that with those that are hopeless right now. Because we've walked through similar things. We've walked through hard things. How have you been encouraged when someone's come along inside of you and said, yeah, I know it's really tough right now. But let me tell you what God did for me. Let me tell you how I was able to endure and walk through that. And then you have a ray of hope. Well, if he got through that or if she got through that or they got through that, maybe with God's help, I can get through that. So it, it, life is God's training program for us. And I don't wish for anybody to ever go through the pain that I've gone through in my life, both physical and, and, and wanting children and not being able to have it and waiting for so long. But I can stand up here and tell you 100%, I would not be the person I am today if I had not walked through all of the challenges that I've walked through. And it's only by God's grace that I'm standing here today on this side of it, grateful for that. So life is God's training program for us. In fact, I heard someone say once that God is more concerned with our character than our comfort. If he was concerned with our comfort and not our character, life could look very different. But our character has a chance to grow and be built through difficult times and circumstances. 
Fourth lesson is as I pick my friends, I'm picking my future. As I pick my friends, I'm picking my future. God created us for relationships, relationships with him, relationships with other people. Uh, and this means life should be a team sport, not a game of solitary. We, we're doing life with other people, not just by ourselves. And here's the thing with friends, though, is that unless you intentionally, keyword intentionally, pick people who are going to build you up and call you towards the good things, they are going to gradually pull you down. You know, this is why, uh, parents, this is why you're so uh, concerned about the friends that your kids have. You know, and then you remember, uh, you know, growing up and going to school, your parents were concerned about the people you were hanging out with. Well, there's a lot of truth in this. This is just a life lesson. But as I pick my friends, I'm picking my future. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be deceived. Quick side note here is if you ever see the preface, do not be deceived, do not be deceived. It's because usually there's something about to be said that we are often and commonly deceived by. So do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. I don't care how good your morals are. If you stay around bad company for too long, your good morals are going to be brought down. And then uh, Proverbs 13, 20 says, he who walks with wise men becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffer harm. We've got two choices. Do we want to become wise or do we want to suffer harm? Well, I can suffer enough harm on my own. I don't need people bringing me down and making life harder for me. So our friends are very, very important. And then there was a book, this particular topic, this is just one lesson, that this is something that I am, am uh, very particularly passionate about because I feel like as, as adults, we have a hard time making friends. You know, when, if, if you've been to college or university, your whole life to that point, and when you graduate, you just, you, like there's ready-made people. You just walk down the hall. Who wants to go to Taco Bell or wherever you're going to go? And, and people are there. You've got friends. But then when you graduate and you move on to life, it's a difficult thing because life just looks so much different than it did when you lived in the dorms or when you were constantly around your peers. You're relating to all kinds of different age groups. But I read a book a number of years ago. And uh, this, this quote that's just impacted me for years since, it says this, and it supports what the Bible says. It says, each of our friends has contributed to the person we've become, but friends, friends mark us in a profound way. They alter our thinking, our actions, our desires, and ambitions for good or bad, which is exactly what the Bible is already telling us. But this is another way of stating it. And uh, some of you may have heard... Um, this quote before uh, author, motivational speaker, Jim Rohn, he says, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So let me ask you this. Who are you the average of? Who do you want to be the average of? Now, how close are the answers to those two questions? So your friends, your people around you are having an impact on your future. I'm so grateful that I met Jessica uh, early on in the the fall of my first year of college, and I started dating her at the end of that first year, and I'm so grateful that the next year when we came back to school, she invited me to go to a, a church that was meeting in the Rogers Senior Center, and I had never been to a church that hadn't ever met in a church building at that point in my life. To me, church was the building, and uh, through that experience, I met the pastor who later became became my uh, mentor and discipled me. You guys, a lot of you know Thad King. 
just, I'm so grateful for the, for the investment that he's made in my life many years ago, contributing to who I am today. And then as a result, years later, I was able to meet guys like Randy Lanthrop, like Bevan Unruh, Gary Hamilton. And today I have the awesome privilege to be standing here on this stage speaking to Randy's church, a group of people who are literally 20 miles from the house that my parents still live in, that I grew up in, that I had no idea even existed when I entered college nearly 20 years ago. So as we pick our friends, we're picking our future. This last lesson I want to share with you is walking with Jesus on this side of eternity is made one step at a time. Just one step at a time. The, for the average person, about 2,000 steps equals a mile. Uh, if you're a little uh, taller, maybe less. If you're a little shorter, maybe more. But that's about the average uh, number of steps in a mile and Fitbit. How many of you got the Fitbits? You know, I see several of you have those. They recommend you do what? 10,000 steps a day, which is about five miles. And throughout the day, some of our steps are easy. Some of our steps are hard. Uh, back in uh, July of 2015, I had an amazing experience to go on a mission trip to the jungles of Guatemala. It's a picture of the team here. Uh, this was a, a network uh, exploratory mission trip that we did, just four of us there. And uh, during that time, we were there for about a week, and we did some trekking. Over two days, we trekked 20 miles. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but the most amazing thing that I've ever done in my life. And some of those steps along the way were easy. I got a picture here. This one, uh, this was downhill, and it was actually paved because they could drive a truck. There was, you know, like places for the truck tires to go. Now, I was a little bit discouraged and disappointed the next morning when we woke up, and I found out we had to walk back up that hill. But that was only a precursor getting me ready for this. I'm standing in this location here. This is looking down where we were walking. And then the next picture is looking up of what was ahead of me. Most of the trail looked like this. As we were walking through the jungle, it was incredibly difficult, hard uphill steps. But the way you got through it was you put one foot in front of the other. And then you did it. In fact, this is where I learned the valuable lesson of pray without ceasing. Because literally for miles, as I'm exhausted, I'm praying, God... Please help me to pick up my right foot and put it down. And he helped me. Thank you, Jesus. Please help me pick up my left foot. Okay, thank you, Jesus. Now, please help me to pick up my right foot. That went on for miles. I'm not joking or exaggerating. That was literally how I made through uh, the end of, of the trek. And just like in our physical life, the only way to move forward is by taking a step and then another step and another step. The same thing is true with our spiritual lives and our spiritual next steps. But the thing with next steps and as we look at our spiritual lives, is it's not enough to know. It's not enough to know the right answer. You actually have to do it. That's what taking a step is. And a uh, key verse for me uh, on this one is Matthew seven twenty one. And I like the way the message paraphrase puts it. It says, knowing the correct password, like master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. This is Jesus talking in this paraphrase. It says, what's required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. And then uh, John fourteen twenty one says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Guys, it is really easy to say, I love Jesus. Anybody can say that. But to actually demonstrate it and prove it and be obedient, that's a whole other thing that's a lot more difficult. And life moves forward taking one step at a time. Throughout the Bible, there are all kinds of men and women who we see them taking all kinds of next steps. Some of those next steps are easy. Some of those next steps are hard. Uh, in fact, we talked about David earlier, David's quote, the way he was remembered. 
David was 15 years old when he was anointed king. And it was 15 more years before he became the king. And he had, he had eight hard years before he became the king of Judah. And there were seven more years before he was king over all of Israel. And in those years, okay, you, you count up how many steps did he actually just physically walk? Because he didn't drive like we drive. You know, dude walked a lot of steps. And those steps, some of them were easy, but a lot of them were super, super difficult. Fighting Goliath, running from Saul. As we read the Bible, we're constantly finding people, they took small steps of obedience. Sometimes they took larger, more scary steps of obedience. But what we have is we all have next steps to take. So walking on Je- with Jesus on this side of eternity is just made one step at a time. And these are just a way of summarizing these really big lessons that I've learned. Obviously, there's been a whole lot more lessons I've learned, um, and we could stay here a lot longer Um, But I won't do that to you. Um, There's also a lot, lot more verses that went into this. And I was trying as I was putting this together, just saying, what was that that key verse that either really encouraged me or challenged my perspective while I was learning that verse? And that's what I have shared here with you. So God loves me so much more than I can actually understand. God's absolutely 100 percent in control. Life's God's training program for me. As I pick my friends, I'm picking my future and uh Walking with God on this side of eternity is made one step at a time. Now, here's the thing about next steps, is we all have a next step to take. Regardless of where we are in life, each and every one of us has a next step to take. And what is a next step? Maybe you're not familiar with that term, or you say, what do you mean by that, Matt? This is what I mean by when I say a next step. A next step is a step, simply just one step in the direction the direction of faith and obedience to where God is taking you to grow you and change you, to become the person that he wants you to be so that you can do all the things that he wants you to do. So I want to invite you to take a next step from wherever you are right now. We've got a pretty diverse group here. We've got different ages. Some of you, this may be your very first time to Church in the Valley. If so, um, welcome. And uh, I hope you'll come back. You can say you, you can come back next time and say, well, it was just that crazy pastor from Texas. But if this is your very first time to Church in the Valley, a great next step is just come back again. That would be a great next step. But many of you have been here uh, before, and maybe you've been hanging around. And, and a next step for you to take is to connect. Connect with others around here, whether it's being a part of groups or events or things that are happening. But take the opportunities to connect with others when you have them. Uh, and then for others, maybe your next step is to make a commitment. And there's a variety of commitments that are out there. If you're here and you have never uh, yielded your life to Jesus Christ and you've not yet become his follower, uh, maybe that's something you need to learn more about. Or maybe you say, no, you know what? I know I need to do it, but it's actually that step of obedience that I need to take. And I just need to take that step. I want to invite you to take that step. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been here for a while and you've been, you've been hanging around. And, and your next step is to really contribute, to be all in here, a part of Church in the Valley, to help make Church in the Valley go. And then perhaps you're committed and God wants to challenge you to be more committed. He maybe wants you to, to commit to membership, formally join the church, be a part of what's happening here. Maybe he wants you to start giving or to increase your giving. And that might be a really scary step. But that may be the next step that God has for you. So whatever those steps are, I want to invite you and challenge you. 
take a next step, take a next step towards being all in. And when you get to the end of your life, may it be many, 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 many years from now, let it be said that you served God's purposes in your generation, that you were all in. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for the journeys that you've allowed each and every one of us to uh, to walk. We've all had different journeys. In fact, we're here at different places in that journey right now. Father, I pray that uh, you would speak to us. Show us what the next step is that we can take with you, and then give us the courage to take that step. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.